0: What's up, everybody? Nate Lurie back with more of We're the Inspiration. With some dark humor and brutal honesty, we're exploring the absurdity and normalcy of living with disabilities and bringing you the most entertaining podcast about disabilities you'll ever hear. This week's episode is interesting for a couple reasons. We're really doing this in the middle of Hanukkah, but this will be the show that comes out right before Christmas, so we should say Happy Holidays to everybody. Also, I've said before... Everyone I'll have on the show will be disabled in some way. I won't say I lied about that, but I should have included people who are relatives of people who are disabled and those who've worked with the disabled. And I've had some people on that I've coached. This week, I have someone that actually coached me. Mr. Evan Braff, what's going on, man?
1: Hey, Nate. How are you? I'm real happy that you invited me to your podcast.
0: <laughs> well, it's good to have you on, man. But first of all, I got to say, it was interesting the amount of support I got just for doing this. And you were one of the people, I know you hadn't listened yet. I just put up the first show, and you were so excited about me doing this.
1: Yeah, and I actually listened to the first one you did. I heard the whole thing beforehand, <laughs> and I think the reason that I got so excited is... Part of coaching wheelchair sports, and I've heard this come out in some of your podcasts. Sure. Sports is a lot more than just being involved in athletics, right? So one of my goals as a head coach, and I think any of the head coaches that were ever part of the team, is what other things can we do to help the athletes on our team grow up and be productive men and women? And so when you see somebody put up a podcast like you did... (laughs) And I was a coach. You get really excited about that stuff.
0: As far as I can remember, I've always been interested in radio. So you probably figured one day I was going to do something like this.
1: Oh, absolutely. What I get excited about is anytime I said, once again, when you're working with athletes or individuals with disabilities, things that I learned as a head coach is you got to treat everybody just like you would treat anybody else, right? Right. That's really important. And so anytime that I was coaching you guys, and I think you know this, I never let up on you all. And I believed in you guys, and it's not about the disability getting in the way, it's just really believing in folks and believing that they can do it and giving you the skills and abilities to do it when you already know it's there. It was really easy at the time when I was coaching you guys coach you all because you all really started believing in yourselves and i think at your adolescence that's really important especially when you have all these other things going on right and i heard you talk about this previously once you say it's growing up and you're in high school and all these other things just layering on having the disability and then being around your non-disabled peers that can be heavy
0: right It can. I don't know if I told this story on a show that hasn't come out yet. I think I have. But I'll give you an example of that sort of thing. There was a guy I'm still friends with to this day. He's not local, but we talk on each other's birthdays. That's about it. But we grew up together. We met at a camp before second grade. And it turned out we were going to the same school that fall afterwards. And... I found out later, his first reaction to me was, I don't want to be in the same camp group as that wheelchair guy. Later on, I asked him, how long did you feel that way? He goes, about a week. <laughs> yeah. It can be heavy, but I'll give you another example because this is a kind of a funny story. Like, I'm not saying bullying is funny or anything like that, but you hear a lot more about school bullying now than you do when I was growing up, for example. Right. And... I feel like maybe a lot of disabled kids have been bullied, possibly. I never was, but the closest thing that I had to a bully was this kid who I remember in elementary school used to do these like fake kicks, like right inches from my face. And I wasn't scared of him, I thought it was just strange. And just these really impulsive things like that. There's more to the story, but I'll just tell the punchline. Later on in high school, we found out this kid had Tourette syndrome.
1: So... Right. It all comes around. But for me, Nate, just knowing what I know and working in the disability field for over 28 years, the reason I love doing this work, the reason I fell in love with it is probably my first job. I had a master's degree in therapeutic recreation. My first job was actually working with the wheelchair sports team in Fairfax County. Is that right? And what a great introduction to working with individuals with disabilities, because every day you show up and you are working with kids and youth and parents who are just really committed to seeing their kids be successful. And I don't know if you're going to have him on the show at some point, but Eric Rode, who is him and his wife right now are running, you know, the Fairfax Falcons. He was the very first kid I met. (laughs) For me, it's just really cool to see somebody you work with, and now you look back and they're actually running a program. For me, when I went into the wheelchair sports stuff as a head coach, yeah, I wanted to teach you guys skills about being an athlete, basketball, sports, and all this other stuff. But it was much more than that. What I know about the work I've done with youth is – there's a lot of self-esteem stuff that goes on, right? Oh, sure. And sports can help with that. And especially if you have the right coaching and coaches that are committed to not only helping you with your skill development, but all those other things that are really important to be part of a team. And for you, for example, like every day you showed up at practice, you were always engaged. You always want to learn new things. You were a great teammate. And I heard you talk about this in one of the previous casts. You knew what your role was on the team. You knew that you could get but it's true. You knew you could get those rebounds and you knew you could throw a good pick. You built on everybody's strength. And that's part of what sports can do.
0: I knew that I was not the best at pure technique. People like Eric, who you mentioned, they're the ones with the technique. I was the one with the power. And that's, right. the, that's still me, right? So yeah. my goal was not to score the most baskets. My goal was not to be the fastest on the team. My goal was to make it very difficult for people to
1: get the ball. Right, exactly. And everybody has a role on the team, right? Mm-hmm. And then if you teach that in sports, you can apply it anywhere in your life. And so coaching the wheelchair sports team, working with those athletes on the team, it was twofold. One was every day thinking about how can I develop these folks as an athlete, but also getting kids. And I think anybody to start thinking about what does it mean to be a healthy lifestyle, right? Right. Even when the sports is over, am I still going to work out? Am I still going to lift? Am I still going to do those things? I think those were all the things that we really wanted to teach. And it was just amazing to be around you all. I think it was interesting because I don't know if you remember, Nate, when we would go to tournaments, Todd and I would have to talk to the parents about not carrying the equipment for you all. And I remember and, things know, like that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and some parents would really get mad at us. And I'm okay with that. But I think it was about us in our mindset is, we want you to have the and i know you guys can we talk about this all the time to have independence to do anything you want to do and and the best time to start doing that is early on in anybody's development you guys just embrace that hey i need you to carry your chair over here i need you to carry your field equipment over here and you all just did it the team is doing very well now
0: or you know yeah. before covid they're not only competing in national tournaments which is not really something that we did when I was on the team or really even coaching it. But I go to these tournaments every year that they have. And every year, even if they do well, I feel like there's something that's missing.
1: And I don't know that because I've had a chance to see them play. And I'll admit this, the level of coaching that's going on now and the way they're organized. And Todd, and uh, and you'll have Todd on here at some point, yeah. is tenfold ahead of where we are. Sure. and. and You know, I think part of what we were going to talk about tonight is one of the reasons the first time I stepped down from coaching is one, I had some additional responsibilities at work. But the other thing is, I think sometimes as a coach, you got to recognize that you may not be the right fit. And I always thought that Todd, with his background as a coach, and I've told him this over and over again. He was a much better coach than I was at actually teaching stuff and the techniques and all that other stuff. So at that time, when we made that transition to him, I was okay with that. And him and I had some agreements about some stuff, but my main focus was just not about growing and helping you all strive as athletes, but the importance of character. And, and one of the stories that I always tell people, and I think you'll remember this. We Oh, were, God, is this about me? <laughs> yes, it is. Okay. Go, go, go so, ahead. But this is a really important story in life. And I think you remember we went out to junior nationals. Uh-huh. You had thrown in one of the events. We thought you had done really well. This was my first time going to junior nationals. So I made a mistake as a coach. I didn't prep myself, and it's a big lesson I've learned in my career. So I'm happy I learned this really young, that you got to be prepped and ready. And it turned out that we didn't know some of the rules. I didn't know some of the rules. That's Mm -hmm. not on you. And it turns out that you didn't get to advance in something. And folks were a little upset about that. And I remember coming up to you, and I think this is part of leadership, and just saying, hey, Nate, I'm really sorry I blew this. And you were upset. But you know what you said to me? You told me you were upset, but you said that was okay. And when I heard that from you, I'm like, this guy's a class act and he's going to go for. You got it and you understood it. And even though you were disappointed in that moment, and I think sports can be disappointing at times. I think you even talked about that where you lose by 20 points, but character comes from that, right? And in that moment, I saw some real character from you. And I've always appreciated that. And I've told people that story.
0: Can I actually tell the full story? Yeah. You kind of summarized it, but there are a lot of details that you kind of left out. And I don't know whether that was intentional or not, but basically this is what happened. Summer of 1995, that was also my first nationals. And when we say nationals, we mean a number of different sports, like track and field, swimming, a bunch of stuff. But the one thing that I really wanted to do was weightlifting. And the thing about weightlifting was that the only people they let do it on the junior level were the 16 and over group. I was turning 16 that summer, but I hadn't yet. So I was 15, and they said, well, you have experience, so we'll let you do the weightlifting, but you have to compete in the older age division in everything else if you do that. So I chose not to do it. And I specifically remember, you said it was a field event, I think it was shot put. I beat 16 people that they put in front of me. I remember that vividly. And there was a 17th name, besides my own, that was crossed out. I didn't know who it was, although I remember the guy's name to this day for some reason. (laughs) I won't say it. (laughs) But the guy's name was crossed out. And so I thought he wasn't there. They let me think for four days that I had won a national gold medal in shot put. Then they post the official results in the hotel four days later. And sure enough, this guy whose name was crossed out was above mine in shot put. We appealed it. And the thing about an appeal on that level is you have, it was either 24 or 48 hours to do it. And that time had already passed.
1: There was literally nothing we could do. And Nate, so I think the point I'm trying to say is that was on me. Because as the coach, I should have known that. What I appreciate about in that conversation, because there were a few other things going on, like there had been other heats that we didn't know about and they Mm -hmm. combined the heats. And that's where, once again, as a coach, you have to show up prepared. And I wasn't, and I own that. And so what I'm saying in that moment when I said to you, hey, Nate, I screwed up. You could have just gone one way or the other. And there was real character in your response. Because it was like, hey, I'm disappointed. But you know what, Evan? I'm going to be okay from this. That's character.
0: I remember being upset about it for a while. And I don't remember exactly what my response was to you. But, yeah. but I do remember you being upset about it as well. And yeah. I think that's why I was ultimately okay with it because I realized, and again, you had coached us, I guess, off and on at that point for three years, but that was the point where you and I actually bonded.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's
0: the reason I was okay with what happened. Yeah. Because I I realized you had my back. That was all I needed.
1: Yeah. And and I tried to go to bat for you, but I also say in sports, we know this, things don't go our way, right? Mm -hmm. So how do you show up? So... I don't know if you've been following sports lately, but the kid down in Texas who just got suspended for going after the referee, that's not how you show up. And that's not what we teach. That's not character. So for you in that moment to allow me just say, and I think coaches do that all the time. There's occasions, we make the wrong calls or we didn't quite know something. If you have that relationship with your team they're going to understand that. And that told me something about your character, because sometimes in defeat, we really show up. Do you know what I mean by that? You show up in character. The other thing I want to talk about that was on that trip, I would never be able to do this anymore. I was too young. I probably didn't know this was the right thing to do. But do you remember when I took you and Brian Whitewater rafting? And that was a blast.
0: I absolutely do remember that. I remember somebody fell out of the raft. It wasn't me. I was rowing, right? Because I was a strong guy. So I was rowing. I was sitting on the edge of the raft. And as soon as somebody fell out, I actually fell into the raft. That's that's what I remember about that
1: experience. But do you remember when we showed up for the rafting and they didn't want to take you guys rafting because you guys were in chairs? Vaguely, yeah. That, to me, is part of this discussion, right? Sure. Why couldn't you guys be whitewater rafting? And we got you guys in the raft. And I think people were like, holy smokes, these guys can do this. Mm-hmm. And that's part of what this is about, right? Absolutely. Like, people with disabilities can do a lot more than we think. And that's something that drives me crazy sometimes. So you got to put people in chances of opportunities in places where they can succeed to show those types of things. And, you know, I loved when we went on trips. I don't know if you remember one time we were down in Reedville, Virginia. We had a break on Saturday night. Todd and I took a bunch of you bowling. And you were with us. You may not remember this. And we show up at this bowling alley and all these heads start turning because what is all these kids in wheelchairs doing here at our bowling alley? And you guys did great polling. And to me, that's what's so amazing about it is people don't know what they don't know. And I've just been amazed every day from wheelchair sports and everything else to just see what people are capable of doing.
0: To an extent, it can blow some people's minds when they see a bunch of disabled people together. Because there are already people that think we all know each other in the first place right right my cousin's in a club right you know him (laughs) right yeah but my cousin vinny right 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 (laughs) (laughs) i want to touch again on an earlier point you made as far as my character even before the colorado thing i knew that you understood my character to an extent i remember this i don't remember when it happened but i remember it At just one of the regular Saturday morning practices, I, of course, everybody remembers, I had that really long hair at the time, long enough to put back. And almost every week when we played basketball, I ended up with like sweat all over me and hair all over the place. And I remember you just looked at me one day when I looked like that, and you were like, you had a lot of fun, didn't you?
1: (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, Nate... My master's degree is in recreation. A lot of people laugh at that, right? But what I tell people is there's some real science behind people who experience fun a lot of times in their lives. Mm-hmm. If you look at the research in regards to that people who report having more fun times, for lack of a better word, yeah, have a lot better, healthier outcomes. And so I think that's great when you're having fun and you're showing up and you're doing all these things and the team, we had a blast and people understood and enjoyed and supported each other. And I would say, you know, to you, this is a question I I have for you is, Go ahead. what do you think wheelchair sports taught you? That's a great
0: question. I think it taught me that there can be a trust built and a, a reliance on people that you know are going through the same things as you are. Because before I joined the first the Metro Maulers and ultimately the Fairfax Falcons, and we'll talk about that too. But Good name change. Exactly. <laughs> you I, still
1: I, want the Maulers so though. I know it goes God. with well, the hair, right?
0: <laughs> I, I don't know who came up with that one. I know it wasn't me. I remember we weren't the best team, but we were a cohesive team because we were You all, guys were close. We were all friends.
1: But you were close.
0: Like Brian and I were but hanging just, out all the time.
1: Yeah. And so I think no matter where you are in your life cycle another thing besides participating in play and doing all these other things and having fun is the social connections that you have with others. Sure. And it's obvious to me just based on the show you've had so far and the people you've invited that these are lifelong friends that you have and people who Nate's having a bad day. And I doubt you barely ever have really bad days. Occasionally we all do. right? I, I have bad moments, not necessarily bad days, but. Okay. Bad moments. But when you have those bad moments, you know who you can pick up the phone and call and say, Hey, I'm having a bad moment. And that person's going to have your back. I assume it's some of those same guys you played sports with. Because I even see it when you post things and do this. They're right away chiming in and saying, hey, Nate, you know, what's going on? And that's part of sports, too. It's, It's not about learning just the activities. It's about these relationships that you build with others.
0: Again, I think you understood this already. But one of the reasons that I wanted to do this podcast was radio is one of those things that kind of you work weird hours you don't have a lot of time to socialize necessarily so i lost touch with a lot of people and everybody understood some of them were also bad at keeping in touch and that's fine once covid came along and i knew i wasn't getting my job back right away i was like okay let me reconnect with some of these people and at first i was like okay i want to do a podcast with these two specific people. And then I realized, well, there are tons of other people, a lot of whom have disabilities that I haven't talked to either. So let me reconnect with them through this podcast. And that is why I'm starting with
1: people. I actually know. It shows the connections you've developed with people. When you can send them an email right away and they're like, I want to be part of this. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's because of your character, but it's the relationships you've built with people. And so, I tell people to this day, one of the best jobs I ever had was coaching that team. And
0: you kind of touched on this, that you went to school to learn about therapeutic
1: recreation. But how did you get interested in that? I'd always worked at camps since I was 13 or 14. Mm-hmm. And I had a real knack, I think, for working with kids who were in the camp, even though it was mostly for able-bodied kids, there were kids with disabilities in there. And for some reason, the administrators of the camp always kind of linked those kids to me. Hmm. But the real story I tell people is right when I got out of college, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And so I got hired as an instructional aide in the Fairfax County Public Schools. As an aide, I was working in a class with kids with developmental disabilities and autism. And we were out on the playground, and I just had this moment where I stepped back. It made me really sad because what I noticed on the playground was the kids with disabilities weren't playing with their non-disabled peers. And that just didn't make sense to me. I got permission at the school to start leading some programs. I did it on my own, where I integrated and did inclusion during that playtime, And then it just turned out that one of my relatives sent me an article about therapeutic recreation. And I think sometimes these opportunities come along and you don't know when they're there. And it was just one of those moments. I'm like, I want to do this. And so I went and got my master's in therapeutic recreation. And I got done with my master's. And I'm like, okay, I need a job now. And old school way of doing it. I was back at my parents' house, this is in my early 20s, going through the newspaper. There was an advertisement to go work at the Therapeutic Recreation Department Division for Fairfax County and applied for the job. And during that interview, they found out that I had a sports background, that I had done some work with some wheelchair sports. And that's how I ended up getting hired part-time with the county. I'm going up on 27 years now, but... I think that experience at the beginning, doing the work with you all in wheelchair sports really defined how I wanted to interact with folks and the people I was going to serve and how I was going to show up every day. And that was the best first experience I think I could have in my career to, to set me on the trajectory of where I am now. And it was just awesome interacting with you all every day gave me that experience. It gave me the experience of interacting with parents who, who had children with disabilities and just understanding the experiences that they have to go through. Um, I think that would be a great podcast for you at some point. to yeah, talk. To all, all the parents were different. Yeah. yeah. And so you got to know how to manage all that. And, and I appreciate all that because if you're a parent with a kid with a disability, you got to be their advocate every day and you have to show up and that can be pretty tough. So I learned to appreciate that and understand the importance of that, but, but coaching the team and really bringing people together, that was important. Todd and I always talked about this. I've coached able-bodied type of people. Mm -hmm. And it was really important to me when I was coaching you all that that same practice or game was the exact same experience because I knew you guys could do that. There was times, you know, that we would do a lot of sprints, right? But I'm like, I want, yeah, but I'm like, I want you guys ready. I've done a lot of strength training (laughs) in my time. Right. And I still
0: do it. I still do it. You're right. But, But when it came to like the wind sprints we were doing and all that stuff, it wasn't too much, but I would get as tired as
1: anybody. It's great as a coach to still hear from you all and stay connected with you guys. And I hear I've kept in touch with a lot of you. And I think the other part that's really cool is just seeing how you all have developed going on to jobs, graduating college, doing different things. Like you doing this podcast was just really cool. I mean, you feel as a coach, you had a little bit part of that, not all of it because it's all on you. But that's why like, you know, Eric running the team now to me is just like the ultimate. I just think that's so cool that you have somebody who was an athlete on the team and, and took so much pride in being on that team that that's something that he still wanted to be involved in. And even you and Dave, you guys were coaches for a long time. Um, That just shows your commitment and what you got from that and how you want to give back.
0: Well, I think Dave's still doing it as well. And I'll find out for sure when I have him on the show but I didn't have to give it up but I felt like I had to when my radio career really took off because I started doing overnights a long time ago that's when my career really started I wasn't on the air yet but that was a number of years ago and I did both for a while and then I realized well I got to sleep sometime. So yeah, that's when Eric and Lisa already took over. I'll have Eric on the podcast as well. I haven't
1: spoken to him about it, but that to me was rewarding. So I coach you guys. And then you want to come back and coach when you're old enough, right? Mm -hmm. Because that tells me that the program meant something to you. If didn't mean something to you, then you guys weren't going to show up. And a lot of you who graduate from the program, showed up a lot, right? Yeah. And it just it just wasn't about, I think, hey, I want to see my friends today. You wanted to help shape and be part of the same experiences that you had. And what a great way to do that, right? To have adults who are in wheelchairs showing up and being models and mentors for kids and saying, you know what, look where I am now and you can do this too. And and I just thought, wow, that was real powerful.
0: It was interesting for me because my first taste of coaching was right after I had Spinal Fusion. Like I couldn't play for a while. So right. technically I was still of age to be on the team. Sort of the same story as far as when I finally did age out of the team, because I came back to playing a little bit. But once I became a coach, for the reasons you said, I've decided to stay with the program. But... I knew I had to make that transition from player to coach. And as a player... So what was that
1: transition like?
0: I couldn't be everyone's friend anymore. Yeah. I was probably frustrated with it at the time, but I understand it now. After practice, I could be your friend all day long. But while practice was going on, not so much. Yeah. And I must have learned from you because when I had people doing things, I was having them do a a whole bunch of cardio, a whole bunch of foul shots. That was my coaching style. And to tell you the truth, I got thanked a lot for it.
1: (laughs) Right. That's another skill, right? Because you have to learn how to, those personal relationships and leadership stuff. And that's what we always try to aspire. I don't know if I ever shared this with you, but we had a lot of offers for you guys to go over to George Mason and speak. I was teaching one of the classes over there. Hmm. And I really thought it was important for you all to come in and talk about your disabilities, because I think there's something that's empowering with that, right? Yeah. If you can talk about it, I think it makes you stronger. It was hard sometimes to get some of you to talk and come into class. And I get that because you're dealing with all these different things. But to me, that's one of the things that I'm really think what's great about this podcast is that you're talking about it, right? And it goes back to what I said again. You don't know what you don't know. And if you can educate people and people can take a step back and, and learn, I think there's a beauty to that. And it leads into the story. I don't, you were there this night. We had a sportscaster come out. Do you remember this? We were at a practice. Ca- like
0: with a news crew?
1: With the news crew. Yeah, yeah, I remember And this. And and at the end of the video shoot, she wanted to have the last shot of her getting a basket in the hoop and she was in a wheelchair. I remember she fell. And she fell Yeah, and she didn't, but what I really loved about this, and this showed something about your all's character is you guys stopped her immediately. And I remember this as a team. and I didn't have to do this as a coach. And so I knew when this happened, I'm like, we taught them something. You guys gave her such a tough time. And told her that it was unfair to want to make that basketball in the hoop because she should be showing people how hard it is to shoot from a chair. Right. And especially with Well, yeah, they were trying to rig her. it. Right. Yeah, they were trying to rig it. And I just remember as coaches, we didn't need to step in. You guys just intuitively knew that was wrong because it's stuff we had talked about, right? Mm-hmm. To me, that was just one of those moments as a coach, you're like really proud of your team because you didn't have to say anything. And they stepped in and they knew what was right. And in that moment for that woman, she missed what the story was about. It wasn't about making the hoop. It was about you all as athletes and how hard it is to play wheelchair sports.
0: I haven't thought about that in years, but As you were telling that story, I remember a few things about it. First of all, when she fell, I remember being right in front of her. And I'm like, I didn't do it. (laughs) Well, we know you didn't, Nate. No. (laughs) (laughs) I'm teasing. (laughs) I I remembered that part, but I had forgotten the part about them wanting to kind of create their own narrative. And to me, that was missing the point. Especially now, it's missing the point because... I've already said on the podcast that a lot of the portions of wheelchair sports that are shown on the news are fluff pieces as it is, right? which I have issues with to begin with. But this would have made it worse to the point where they were trying
1: to make it look so easy, and it's not. Exactly. No. And that's what I didn't like about it. Any sport you show up to isn't going to be easy and you have to work hard and you have to do the time. And I remember we did some exhibition games against the GMU basketball team. I've got we, pictures on my wall here with that team. Yeah, yeah, and And one of the things that I appreciated is they would get in that chair. And I just remember after those practices each time, they were like, man, that's tough and that's hard. And I think those types of awareness things are really important. It's just one piece of it. My goal always as a coach, and I just have a theory about this. My dad taught me this, is I think there comes a certain point where you're just wired a certain way and you have to love the way you're wired. And that's part of, I think, of coaching is helping people just build up their self-esteem, And when they have moments like we've talked about where things don't quite go right, as a coach, you use that as learning moments. What was great about you guys is you all were eager to learn. And I love that. What a great situation to be in as a coach, right? I've coached a lot of different groups. And that's what I really appreciated about the team when I had a chance to coach it.
0: I think there was an understanding, especially after I had... Been playing for a couple of years, there were definitely teams better than us. And for me, it wasn't that I didn't want to get better, but even to this day, I don't believe in just doing one thing. Absolutely. In my years of being in radio, I've kind of had to go heavy on the weight training because I don't necessarily have time to do things other than just go to the gym. And right. I realized that to maintain fitness and weight goals and stuff like that, weight training is not enough on its own. I can be strong, absolutely, but, right. but it's not going to get me where I want to be. So believe it or not, during COVID, I've actually started playing basketball again.
1: That's great, man. But the point, I think, Nate, your point is a good one. And this is what we tried to do in the wheelchair sports team is not only talk about basketball, but we want it to expose everybody to a variety of different sports. So right. in the summer, we do golfing, we do tennis, we do all these different things because I think you're right. And this is part of my recreation background again. It's really healthy to be exposed to a variety of different activities and then find that one that really kind of gravitate to. Yeah. But the exposure piece is really important. And I think you bring up a good point about that, the balance, right? Mm-hmm. And make sure that you take the time to experience a variety of different things. And we did that with wheelchair sports. I just remember we used tons of different things that you guys could experience from fishing to archery. And I think that leisure exploration piece that you bring up is really important. And the other piece that I think you bring up that's really important is the types of activities you have to be involved in don't always have to be competitive. It can be recreational, right? Because I enjoy it and I want to do it and it's fun. A lot of times competition
0: actually ruined things for me. Like I would get too competitive. Greg and I talked about that already. We are kind of in the same boat there. And uh, that's kind of how we bonded is having like minds like that. There were times where we were getting ready for tournaments, but even if we were doing that, there was time to have fun.
1: Right. And the only thing I cared about the tournaments, even though there may have been teams that were better than us, that we were going to show up to every game and we were not going to get discouraged and not get down. And even if we were down by 10, 12 points, we were going to still play our hardest because I think that's part of character that I think is a life lesson because we all get Curveballs, right? And it's what we're going to do when we have that curveball. Like, are we going to put our head down or are we going to just say, go forward and let's see what we can do? And you guys showed up every time around that. I think that was part of what you have to do as a coach to create that environment and say, every time we're going to show up.
0: Fast forwarding a little bit, there was a year when I was coaching, I was sort of head coach and name only for a while before you came back. Nobody else was doing it except Dave. It was just right. me and Dave, right? So we went to the Baltimore tournament one year because I got Greg back for his last year. I think we only had one substitute. We had six guys on the, uh, right. going to the basketball tournament. And we were offered to have subs from other teams. I refused. Yeah, We didn't win any games. Mm-hmm. But I think we only lost by the largest margin, I think, was six. Yeah. So I was really proud of that. They were extremely tired by the end of that tournament.
1: But they had fun, I bet. Oh, man.
0: I think they loved it.
1: Because they got to play the whole time and then get subbed out. Right. And (laughs) and it's kind of cool, you know?
0: Earlier, you talked about a few of the coaching changes on the team. My timeline in the early days is kind of messed up, because I know there was you... You guys had Cisco was your first coach. Cisco was
1: the first coach. Okay. Yeah. And he had Mo who was with him. Yeah. And then I came along right after them. Oh, you were after Cisco. Cisco and I coached kind of at the same time. Okay. And I think he was ready to kind of to pass those reins on. He had really started the team. And so I took the team on and then I was able to bring Coach Utter and Coach Rinaldi on. Yeah, and just really form that team, and I think it was important to have Coach Rinaldi on there because you needed a female on there too. You yeah. got to have that representation. Yeah, Su-
0: Susie Rinaldi.
1: She was a great coach, and so I think you're getting at my return to coaching. Well, I'm
0: just trying to get the early timeline straight because I didn't yeah, remember. If you I gotcha. Were, I didn't remember if you were before or after Cisco, but I remember. No. I remember you handing the reins over to Todd, and then Todd left to I think coach high school football full-time which he was doing anyway
1: he coached you guys for a long time oh he did easily 10 or 12 years that's a huge commitment
0: it really is and i'll have him on the show too definitely because he's already said yes (laughs) (laughs) so when he left there was andy andy's going to be on the show too at some point when andy left i think to go to law school I think we had Jeff Hopkins for a little bit, and he left too. I don't know why. Then it was me, and then it was you again. Mm -hmm.
1: So how did you come back? At that time, I was running the therapeutic recreation division. So I was in charge of all therapeutic recreation programs. So Mm -hmm. I had some parents who called me up and This had been happening over a series of years where they were really upset that we couldn't find a permanent head coach for the team and really wanting some stability there. And I think when you're a leader of an organization and you get, remember how I talked about the parents and the relationship? I built with them younger and just the importance of that. I met with them. And they just shared some of the concerns that they had. I thought it over and I said, you know what? I'm going to start coaching again. And I talked to the staff that I was supervising um, and just explaining that to folks that I was going to come out. And one of the agreements that I made with the parents at the time, and this had always been kind of my dream around the wheelchair sports team, is if you look at youth sports, at that time, and maybe it's a little different now with select and some other things, most of the youth sports teams were run by parents, right? Mm -hmm. Parents are coaches, parents help run the day-to-day operations of stuff. And that's something I always, maybe is a little different than some other wheelchair sports team, but I always wanted something that seemed a lot more natural, like you see in other environments. And so The agreement I made with the parents is that I would come out and coach, but some of them would have to allow me to start training them to be coaches, or we would find volunteers to Mm. be coaches. And that's how Alex's dad got involved. We had a few other parents out there and really start developing this model that it wasn't a paid coaching model. And that it was going to be like your traditional youth sports. And I know youth sports has kind of changed now because you have select and you're paying some coaches but I like that old community model and, and the parents were really receptive to it. So I agreed to come back out and coach until we felt like there was a place where I could hand that over to a parent to run the team. And you and Dave were still out there. And I think Eric got wind that I was coaching the team again and asked if he could come out and volunteer. Yeah. And him and Lisa, uh, his wife. You had job, Dave had a job and it's just hard. It required a, not that you guys didn't have it, but they were really, really committed. And it got to a point where I'm like, the team's in a really good place. Yeah. And I talked to the parents and they were really thankful that, that I come out and done that, but it was time to make that transition. If you're a really good leader, sometimes you have to roll up your sleeves and get in there. Yeah, And you just can't pass it off to somebody else. And I think in that instance, we really didn't have anybody who had had experience coaching a team and it just made sense for me to come back and do it. And I was happy to do it. It was fun to be back in and doing it. I think you guys could see I enjoyed it. Oh yeah. And Eric and Lisa, what they have done with the program. Phenomenal. I would have never imagined it, it got in. And I give all the credit to them. It's exciting to see kids going to nationals, exciting to not even that, the sports piece, but the stories I hear of what we just talked about when we just started the team is the kids and their character, right? And how they're growing up to be successful adults. To me, that's just joy to see that. And so that's the reason I came back and coached for a while to just support everybody and be back in the mix.
0: Not everybody knows my side of that story, because like I said, I was sort of by default head coach right before you came back. Right. Because right. right? Because everybody else left and I didn't want the Mm -hmm. team to literally fall apart. I would say that to people. Right. Right. I'm not saying I knew the parents had a problem with me coaching, but I knew that they wanted more stability and I didn't know they went to you to, to necessarily get it. But part of me was like, am I not doing a good enough job here? Right. And then the first week you came back, you look at me and you go, Nate, you're strength and conditioning coach now. That's the job I wanted all along. (laughs) I can do that, right? Yeah. You were sort of phased out after a while. And Norman and Eric and Lisa were taking over. And the truth is they were doing so well that... My position as strength and conditioning coach was also sort of phased out. There was no time for it. Right. So basically what I was doing, and no offense to any of these people, but what I ended up doing was I was more of a physical therapist to the ones that couldn't necessarily play basketball. Right. And I didn't really feel comfortable doing that. I was qualified to be a strength and conditioning coach because I knew how. I don't know how to be a physical therapist. So that sort of led to my departure from the team. Like you said, I had a job anyway, and things that Eric and Lisa were doing, I had thought about doing too, but I really had no means of it. And I had a conversation about that with Eric one time and he said, Well, social media makes it a lot easier now. (laughs) Yeah. It does. It really does does. make it a lot easier. It really does.
1: The thing I'll say, Nate, is I don't think The parents necessarily had a problem with you as the coach. They were tired of the constant in and out as a head coach, right? Sure. And I think the only way you're going to build stability in having a program like this and the right thing to do is to turn the parents into coaches, right? And even Eric and Lisa are doing that now. Yeah. I mean, that's a natural program. I think part of what you talked about is this idea of mainstream and inclusion, Mm -hmm. And if you want things to be included, then you should model it like other community programs. And so I do think there is a place for, and we had a lot of kids who showed up who maybe had some mobility issues for them to be there and get some of that one-on-one and it builds the confidence. I can think of plenty of players who their role was just to set picks and do some other things. And they were the best pickers on the team. Mm -hmm. And so I think as a coach, you have to kind of recognize that. So I think in no way would I ever want you to go away with that experience like I wasn't a good head coach. I think it was more about the parents at that time really being tired of us constantly having to seek a head coach. And what I remember at that time is you were also starting to get into your radio career. Yes. And so there were times when you couldn't be there on a Saturday. And they're like, I want the same person there every Saturday. And I get that as a parent. And when you're trying to build a program and how you have to have stability. So coming out and doing that, I think really made sense. And I think as somebody that I would like to think I was sort of at the beginning of the wheelchair sports team, each year or each five years, you want to see it grow. And so I grew it. Todd grew it. You and Dave grew it. And now you have Eric and Lisa there who have grown it to a level that is just so exceptional. It's wonderful to see. And it's sustained itself. Program started in 1994, right? I think it was 92. 94. Yeah, maybe 92. And so you're talking now where it's 18 years old. I mean, yeah. in two years, we're going to be, it's going to be 20th anniversary. I mean, 30th or the 30th. I yeah. mean, that is really... Powerful to see something sustained like that.
0: I'm not saying I have a problem with this now because I understand all of it. I'm not sure to this day whether when we were doing it by ourselves, Dave and I really grew the team because it felt like we were just trying to hold it together. Right. Now that we have this discussion, I really think the parents were picking up on that because all we were doing was, well, I don't know if they do different sports now, but all we were doing was playing basketball because we knew that people would show up for it right anything else was sort of a crapshoot whether people would show up or not so the days of doing different things
1: was kind of over and we weren't really getting new people but nate there's still a role for holding it together does that make sense yeah yeah i guess you were there in a moment where you were holding it together where it could have totally collapsed right Mm-hmm. And so I think there's value in that too. But I was happy to come back to the team. I was happy to be working with you again in a different capacity, <laughs> which was kind of cool. It was no longer coach player. It was coach to coach. Mm-hmm. And you and I had to establish a different relationship, right? Because no longer were you the player, but I had different expectations for you as a coach.
0: And again, immediately you were like, okay, you're strength and conditioning coach now. I was like, Evan still gets me. Okay, let's, yeah. let's go on.
1: <laughs> yeah, let's rock and roll on this. Parents and their advocacy, right? Your mom, tremendous advocate. And even for the program, I have such respect for her. And if you're a parent and you have a kid with a disability, you have to fight so much harder than any other parent to make sure your kid gets everything that they need. And so I get when we're running this program and it's not at the quality that these parents want and how much these kids need that. That's not a knock on you all, but what I mean by quality, I mean by it's like the Washington football team, right? They've recycled so many coaches. They're finally getting it right. Recycled but you know coaches, what I'm
0: recycled names, you know, whatever.
1: Yeah, but whatever. But you need, <laughs> I, I think you need some consistency there. And that's what those, Parents were asking for. And I'm like, I always wanted to get us to a point where the parents were coaching the team. I thought that was really important. My
0: mother was a very big proponent of me doing things independently. There were, and I'm not going to mention any names, but there were other people
1: on the team whose parents didn't really have that mentality. When I saw her, and maybe you couldn't see it because you were a little bit younger, mm-hmm. one of the things that I appreciate about your mom is she, for those parents that were maybe being a little bit more protective because their kid had a disability and I get that. Yeah. She made it okay for them to say, you know what, I'm going to give my kid a little bit more independence. And she was really a big help to me because she knew like, I wanted you all to carry your supplies and your equipment and all this other stuff. Well, and she, she knew parent, you were
0: getting a bad rap by not letting people do that.
1: But what I appreciated about that is she understood why we were doing that. Yeah. And when a parent spoke up about why is Evan making their kid carry the luggage and do all this other stuff, your mom understood that piece of independence that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. I just really valued that, that she understood that was a really good advocate and a really good champion of the team. But I think it goes beyond that. I'm just really excited to see where you're going to take this podcast. I think it can go in a variety of different ways. And I'm really excited to continue seeing the future speakers you have on here and and how you're going to frame this out. Because I do think you probably already did this. You are in media. If you look up podcasts, there's not a lot about what you're doing right now and how you're talking about it and talking about it in a way that is really educational. But also fun. Fun and talking about the values piece, which is, I think, really important. And that's what I got from your previous folks who you've interviewed on here is that piece of, it's just not talking about Nate's experience, right? Because eventually you're going to get to a point where you're going to include folks you don't know. Yeah. And talking about their experiences and really just educating folks about the disability community. And the way I look at it is even some of the things you talked about in the last few podcasts, really doing away with a lot of these myths that people have, right?
0: The first podcast that we did, Greg and I said, we're going to make people uncomfortable. And what we realized is we're going to make people uncomfortable because they're going to go Okay, I've never heard that before, but you know what? They're right. Yeah, I hate to admit it, but they're right.
1: Right. And just like that woman we talked about who showed up to do the media, right? Mm -hmm. It's not about having that glorified moment. And I like the way you talk about that. Like, Uncomfortability is okay, right? Mm -hmm. And I think I said this at the beginning. You just don't know what you don't know. And so I appreciate that you're doing this podcast and really looking forward to see the impact that it will have in regards to just folks thinking about what you just talked about. Wow, I'm uncomfortable right now. I didn't know that. There were times when we were on trips and a stranger would come up and want to push one of you guys. And Todd and I, I don't know if you ever knew this, but there's a few times we had to say some things to people like he can do this on his own or she can do this on their own. And I like the way you guys talked about that in the last last podcast. I mean, the wheelchair is an extension of your body. And how can somebody just think about getting in your space and think that's okay?
0: I think this was when he was on his way out. But I remember vividly Todd saying to basically the whole team, he's said something to the effect of, he's always respected me because I would rather die than have someone push me when I didn't
1: need it. Right. That's your space, right? Mm -hmm. And people don't understand that. And, And I think that's part of sports too. I think we were teaching you all how to say, you know what, that's not okay. And when somebody steps over or says something about somebody with a disability, then I'm going to speak up with that, right? You know, that's the thing that I think we wanted to instill is, is knowing that I have this disability and it's going to define who I am, but I can even be more than that, right? It goes back to that wiring piece, but I really appreciate the last podcast. That really got me thinking because I'd forgotten about that space stuff. Your podcast so far has only dealt with kind of your wheelchair sports community, Mm -hmm. but I'm pretty sure at some point you're going to get into some other disabilities, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. What's that experience like when somebody has autism or they have a developmental disability or visual impairment? And The only one I
0: haven't figured out is hearing impairment because in order for it to work on radio, you kind of have to be able to hear and speak, so... Right, we, we might figure out something, but, you know, we'll see. Yeah, and I,
1: I bet there's ways to do that. I'm more than happy to volunteer up my time to figure that out with you. <laughs> I think my point being, you got at this at your story at the beginning, like see this person in the wheelchair and, and we automatically make these assumptions, right? And we don't take the time to talk or to develop relationships. And when you do, you're like, I feel stupid. Why didn't I just do that a long time ago? That mentality, we got to work better on that. And I think we've come a long way, but there's still space for us to grow. One of the things that the wheelchair sports team has done in Fairfax County is I think it's raised that awareness around what individuals with disabilities can do. Three years ago, they brought all the players from junior nationals to confront the board of supervisors. And they start talking about all the stuff they had done to get to nationals. And I think people were really appreciative of that and to learn about that.
0: You keep saying that you don't know what you don't know. I don't know what I don't know either. And that's a big part of it. Like I know these things need to happen. I don't know how they will, but that's why I'm doing this. And I keep saying that too, but that's why I'm doing this show. Because the first step is just awareness of these issues. If more people are aware, they have an idea of things at least not to do or not to
1: assume. And you're planting some seeds, right? I'm really excited to see where this journey takes you. Because I think at some point, you're going to be building awareness. And then you're also going to start saying, you know what? We really need to have a conversation about this. And how can we change this right in our right. society? And, and I see where you're going because you even talked about that in some of the podcasts. I think you alluded to, I forget who it was, you had mentioned some video you had seen of somebody talking. It came up on your podcast and all of a sudden it was publicized in the media. I'm really excited to see your journey with the podcast because not only do I think you're going to build awareness but you're also going to be starting to talk about some issues that you're like how can we bring about change right and and I think that's going to be really cool to see the coach in me me's coming out right <laughs> um, you know what i mean you're, by that i'm you're, like you're trying nate, to motivate I still got it with you're trying to motivate i still got you. it with the, not even motivate you with nate i'm like man big things for you and i see it
0: here's the thing you've always been like that you sort of compared yourself to Todd earlier and I know you guys are longtime friends. I think in terms of making sure that people's heads were on straight, that's where you guys were kind of even. Yeah. He might have been technically a better athletic type of coach, but I always appreciated, in both of you, the ability to just make sure my head was on straight. And that's what I always take away from that story about getting cheated out of the gold medal yeah because you were there to just make sure that i was going to be okay yeah i I, I didn't know that right away but
1: no and i didn't know it right away either (laughs) but i think the point is nate that coaching is that one time like you want to build character and then you want to come back 20 or 30 years and say you know what this person is all right in my book and they're earnest and honest and have a lot of integrity That's what you hope sports does, right? Because I think you alluded to this at the last time. I mean, the realistic thing, even with able-bodied athletes, only a small percentage of them get college scholarships. And if you even think about wheelchair sports, because there's not that many programs out there. That's got to be even harder. even Even harder. So this idea of of somebody coming into the program, if they want to become a college athlete, I'm going to do everything that I can do to help get them there. But there's much more in sports that comes out this idea around character building and the connections you have with others that you've talked about tonight. The number one thing you said you got out of the program was these friendships you've developed. Absolutely. And people that you can turn to and That's the beauty of sports. It's a responsibility of a coach to build that type of community on a team. If all you're focused on is just winning and you're not thinking about those character moments, there's times where I would sit some of our best players because they were being asses on the court. That's the best way to put it. And I was probably one of those
0: at one time or another.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but if you're going to act that way, then I'm not going to have you represent us on the court. And those are lessons that you have to teach as a coach. I think Todd and I really, and even Susie, all thought of that piece of, and I think you're getting at this, it's coaching about the technical stuff. Yeah. But that social emotional stuff is really important too, right? You don't want somebody walking away from the experience. Having low self-esteem, that doesn't help that individual and it doesn't help the team. And a lot of it comes back to believing and having hope and knowing that somebody can do something. If you can just instill that in them and be that cheerleader, people always rise up.
0: It's very easy, I think, for everyone to have a good time if everyone is good. And I think that's where the Falcons are now. Right. Right. I wasn't the only leader but I was one of the leaders in the early days. I think I was able to lead the team because I knew my role instantly. Yeah. Like I was by far the strongest person on the team.
1: And but we also embraced your role. Yeah. We embraced that and we talked about how important that was, right? Mm-hmm. So everybody on the team knew not everybody could be a scorer. Right. It just doesn't work, right? You need somebody to rebound. You need somebody if you really want to have a strong team, not everybody can be in that role. And you see that all in sports, right? Everybody has to take a role. And that's what I appreciate about you guys is you all understood that. I think part of that was the coaching, just how we presented things and talked about the importance of each role. But everybody showed up and really wanted to make the team fun i think in those early years i would say we weren't winning and i almost felt like we were more like the bad news bears but the good part of that is if you ever see that movie they have tons of fun right Mm -hmm. so even though we may have lost some games there were times we the game would be over and you guys would just laugh and be like man that was really rough But you all knew you gave your best efforts and and went out there and, and tried to do everything that you can do. And this is where I do give Eric and Lisa credit. And we never went after this. I don't know if you know they did this, Nate, but they petitioned to make sure that other teams that were in our area could no longer kind of take those kids up to their program. And so that's One of the reasons the team kind of got a little bit stronger is kids who were in the area now had to come to the team that was affiliated with them. We never had done that before. I'm not saying that, but I think that helps strengthen the program. But there's times where the Falcons still lose, but the positivity that I see, even when that happens, where character shows up is when you're not winning. You guys, even though we may not have won every game, we won some. I think in those moments, those are probably the biggest life lessons you get.
0: When you're an athlete and competing in something, I think there's something to be said for knowing when you're going to lose. And a lot of those games, especially early on, we just knew we were going to lose. So I could never be too upset about that. But that's just me. I don't want to say we weren't ready, but I always go back to that first tournament. It must have had some impact on me that I remember the score of the first game we ever played.
1: Was I there or was that with Cisco? You were there, I
0: think, because I have a picture on my wall. I'm staring at it right now. We are all wearing those red Metro Mallers shirts and Oh, you got me with the long you're, hair. You're man. in the no. picture. Yeah. With yeah the you, long. you got like long <laughs> you got like as long hair as I do right now, man. <laughs>
1: Maybe that's why we got along because I had that long hair with you. I think I went up to the first tournament and that's when Cisco and Mo were coaching and I was assistant coach. I never cared about, I mean, I want to win. I think we all want to win, right? But winning to me was also about, even though you talked about, you knew, you thought in your mind, this team is more superior than you. You guys never showed that on the court when you were playing. We all have our Goliaths we have to face right
0: Mm -hmm. but
1: how are we going to show up when we see that goliath and i think that's part of sports right number one ranked alabama is going to play this team that's owen 15 or whatever but Mm -hmm. you're still going to show up and play yeah and you're going to give your best effort and i think that's a life lesson i always felt like after those tournaments regardless of how you played the other teams respected you guys for your hustle your sportsmanship all those things. The first year was rough, but the other years we won a few. You even talked about that with some of the younger teams. Yeah. It takes a long time to develop a culture and a team, especially in a culture where you don't have tons of recruits. It's not like you have 200 people coming to join the team and folks coming in and out. So you just got to be ready for that. But you guys always showed up and it's easy to coach when that happens.
0: This is more in the early days I'm talking about, but I never thought we did badly considering we were a team built from the ground up. We obviously started out maybe with some understanding, but generally not knowing what we were doing. When we get to that first tournament, that's a whole different
1: beast. It is. And when you look at those other teams we're playing, when they've been established for 15 or 20 years, and you're the new kid on the block, that takes a while. and so. I appreciate the fact that you guys were kind of the founding fathers, you know, of the team. And there's some value in that. But you guys, like it or not, have created that culture that has continued to build on. And I think that's something to be proud of. A lot of times in the media, when you see a story about somebody with a disability in sports, it's going to be in the metro section or life section. It's not going to be in the sports page. Right, I said the same Florida. thing about
0: how they cover the news on yeah. television. And so
1: it's yeah. so it's going to be this good feel story, and it's not about the person being an athlete. And I remember uh, a few years ago, Kristen, my wife, and Carly, my daughter, I brought them out to one of the wheelchair sports tournaments, and Carly had never been to one. Kristen hadn't either. First of all, they love the action. <laughs> when they saw somebody just fall out of their wheelchair, get back up in and run again. They were just like, that was awesome. And so in this day and age with all these different channels we have, why isn't there more focus on some of these disability sports? Because they're really exciting to watch. And I don't know why we just don't take some time to focus on that a little bit and really expose people to something that they may really enjoy watching
0: There is definitely money in serious coverage of wheelchair basketball and other sports. But basketball being the big one, because that's the one that I've always said, not a lot of people have seen it, but once they do, they're hooked immediately. Right. If my podcast is in any way responsible for more coverage, I'll tell you one thing right now, I would love to be a commentator for wheelchair basketball. That would be great.
1: I'm going to push this a little bit. You tell me where I can go on a cable channel and watch wheelchair sports on a regular basis.
0: Even the Paralympics, as far as I know, have only been broadcast online. Nobody really promotes it. I don't really have an answer for you.
1: I think they have shown some of the Paralympics on regular TV, but that's the point that I'm trying to get at is I just don't want it to be these once in a while. Right. It would be nice if there's something built into it where it's a regular thing that's featured. You have to think about
0: these channels that air sports 24-7, unless they focus on one thing, the specific football channels or whatever, That can be tough sometimes because it's the off-season of whatever sport or like we're going through a freaking pandemic and there are no sports or whatever. The problem that wheelchair sports face is even if it's on once in a while, it's not on often enough to really see if it can draw ratings.
1: Or even to get a falling for it. Right. And that's what I think you're getting at. Right. And so it would be nice to see that at some point, some visibility. And, and I get it. Some of it I think you're alluding to is, is there money behind it? And can you get advertising for it and all those other things? I personally think you could, because I think folks would be excited. And like you said, once they saw it, they would probably end up getting hooked on it. And so maybe your podcast brings some awareness to that. But I really... Really appreciate you inviting me tonight. It's always great to catch up with you. This is
0: probably so far the most organic conversation that I've had on the podcast. I had a couple questions prepared for you. You answered most of them without even me having to ask them. We've just been sitting
1: here shooting the breeze. And I think part of that is those experiences I learned young as a coach. You got to be prepped and ready, right? Right. People always tell me what helped you in your career get you where you need to get to. And there's a variety of things. I was lucky to have Gary, who you talked about as my first supervisor, who was a fantastic mentor. And I think everybody needs a leader, a mentor like that. But I also think my experience with the wheelchair sports team really got me thinking about how do I want to lead programs with individuals with disabilities and how do I want to interact with those families? And also all the stuff that goes into being a coach, like being organized and setting up and talking to players and coaching them, that all projects out into then how you're going to be as a leader. Coaching is leadership. Right. And so Being your all's coach at a really young age, it was a really great learning experience for me. And I appreciate that you guys, as young as you were, gave me the space to kind of grow as a coach and as a leader. And that was just a really special time for me. Just
0: kind of as an aside, I don't think I realized until years later how few years there were between people my age, I guess, and I don't want to speak for the younger kids, but us and people like you and Todd. I didn't realize until on his birthday one year that Facebook told me, Todd's only 10 years
1: older than me. I didn't know that when I was playing. Right. And so we had to show up in a way that imagine coaching a team of kids when you're 24 or 25, right? Right. And you got to show up. And that's what I say. Just helped me with my professionalism and how I show up every day because there were times, I admit it, where I had to learn how to be professional with the parents. Mm -hmm. And I had one or two episodes where I didn't say the right thing. I own it. That's why I'm so happy I had this experience really young in my career because it exposed me to a variety of different things that helped improve my proficiencies and competencies and being a leader and that age gap you have to be careful about what you had talked about is I'm there to coach I'm not there to be everybody's friend and right I'm Still gonna have that relationship with you I'm gonna be a caring adult but a caring adult doesn't mean that I always have to hey you can do this you can't do this I really enjoyed the experience. And like you said, you guys really valued and appreciated each other. And I see that now, even in some of the podcasts you have, it's just great that you're reaching out to all these past players and getting their takes and experiences and the different themes you're having for the shows are really gonna go a long way. And this thing about expanding beyond sports and talking about disability, that's where i hear you're going with the show it's just not going to focus each time on sports you're going to bring out in other societal factors and other sociological issues that pertain to people with disabilities and really have conversations about that
0: it was hard to know where to end this one evan and i have been each other for almost 30 years so we could have just kept going i didn't mean to talk so much about myself but if you've ever wanted to know about me coaching or playing basketball This was the episode to listen to. Also, for obvious reasons, I didn't ask Evan if he'd ever been called an inspiration. He's not disabled. But in the future, for those who are not disabled, I will ask if they've ever had misconceptions about the disabled community before they joined it in some way. I want to thank Evan for being on the show, and thank you for listening. Be sure to like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and join our Discord server. Links to those are going to be on the SoundCloud page when I put the show up. Also, Merry Christmas to everyone, and if you don't celebrate it, it's going to be on a Friday this year, so celebrate that. Until next week, this is Nate Lurie saying, you don't always have to do a lot to inspire others.